Welcome to the Less Matters podcast. This is a podcast not just for those people interested in large-scale Scrum, oh no. This is a podcast for anybody who wants to know how to make single or multi-team agile work in any product-led or project-driven organisation. I'm Ben Maynard. And with over a decade of experience leading Agile in organisations both huge and small, I am uniquely placed to interview some of the best and brightest minds on topics that will help you be the best Agile practitioner you could possibly hope to be. And in this episode number two of three, we welcome back Ari Ticker to build upon his team Magic. Magic with some research-based enablers for creating the best conditions for a superb team performance. Remember, subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice. And that's it. Going to keep this one short. Hello, everyone. It's Ben here again. That's a terrible way to start a podcast or a video. Nobody wants to do that because they would have all listened to it beforehand, where it's me saying who I am. And now we just get double of that. And that's boring. But I won't edit it out because I'm lazy. We are joined today again by Ari Ticker. Hello, Ari. Hello, Ben. Lovely to have you back again. Yes, very good to be here. It feels like such a long time since we last spoke. I mean, I can't think how many how many seconds it's been. How many milliseconds? <laughs> but we can't talk too much about it. We'll ruin the illusion that we're recording these not on the same day. Mm. Although most people probably guess that most people just record these conversations in a batch. So Ari, thank you for coming back. It's really nice of you to come back. And we're going to talk about team magic again. If you don't know who Ari is, I'm going to put links to his LinkedIn, his website in the show description. And also, shame on you for not listening to part one of the conversation where he introduced himself proper. Now, I tend not to ask people to reintroduce themselves because by the time we get to the second conversation, we've warmed up. And we normally got a particularly tasty and maybe slightly more in-depth topic to come round to, which is where we where we are today. So last time when we spoke about framing teamwork as collaboration and performance instead of looking at just a group of a group of people. And today, Ari, we were going to have a conversation about what Richard Hackman called the enabling conditions. And these are the enabling conditions for great teamwork, which was in his book. Uh, which is, everyone's watching the video, I'm just underlining it there, lead, leading teams? Did it come from leading teams? Leading teams uh, creating states for great performances is the title. Who doesn't want that? Hmm. And Ari, stage maker extraordinaire, could you tell us a little bit about these enabling conditions and its relevance to our agile world? Yes, so, small, brief um, recap of what I said uh, in the last uh, talk. So, Richard Hackman did 40 years of uh, study in, in Harvard. He started his studies by thinking, what kind of conditions create great performance? So, he studied how organizations work and how you can reorganize, rethink the work and reorganize it and he gradually ended up in studying different teams like baseball teams, theater ensembles, uh, flight crews in, in the airplanes and so on and uh, how, how they col- collaborate and what actually creates great great performance. Uh, symphony orchestras, he was interviewing these um, conductors, Kapellmeister, 
asking, since you lead a new orchestra, you go from orchestra to orchestra, so how, how can you kind of lead what is important there? So all kind of perspectives to, to creating great performance. And quite often studies of teamwork are about the internal dynamics of teams. Some people th- believe that picking a collection of people who have certain psychological qualities would make a great team, which I don't believe. <laughs> uh, and, and some other internal dynamics, that that would be important. But Hackman was really trying to find all possible things that enable this thing happening. So his statement, number one, is that it's um, natural. It will just happen. If you have right people, you have a real team. So people who have the skills and energy and so on. You have supporting organizational context. So you you have a task defined that is actually for teamwork. You, the rewarding is aligned with that and, and so on. And then you have a goal that is uh, clear, consequential and challenging. Then if you have these conditions in place and the team puts effort in, they will find their ways. It will just happen. So in that sense, he, he really didn't look at this. Okay, how, how do you coach team? How do you go into people's personalities and so on? And I think that is an important message. The organizational design, according to Hartmann, defines 60% of the success. Mm-hmm. So by organizational design, that's not just the reporting lines and roles, etc. That is the, the goals and the... Yes, yeah. So (laughs) he listed maybe twelve different conditions, which I I don't remember all by heart, unfortunately. But uh, so he he tried somehow to condense his research into giving names for for these certain patterns that need to exist, and then have some kind of structure there so that it would be easier to understand. So that that is his approach, and and I mean the. Big message here is really, as, as you were also confirming, that the organizational design, having all this in place before the team starts, is 60%. Mm-hmm. And then 30% is, uh, according to him, when you are launching the team. Because when people come to the room, okay, we have this new team, oh, we have that kind of goal, who are the other people in this team? Do we have this enough support so that we can succeed. In a couple of minutes, people have decided, created their image, are we going to succeed or not? Mm-hmm. He was also asking from some uh, conductor, so h- how do you do this? And the conductor was saying that, um, well, I have something like 30 seconds time to say something where I kind of show that I'm worth this position. And then the orchestra will say, okay, yes, we agree to be led by you, which is the first group dynamics condition that the team needs to achieve or to be to become a team. So, and only 10% is coaching as the work is ongoing. And now that is quite opposite that many, many kind of coaches or scrum masters do. There, there's this design, what is whatever. Team has been struggling already for a long time, and then you, okay, hey, scrum master coach, come here and fix the team. 
So according to Hackman, that's only 10% of, of the performance that can be influenced like that. Mm -hmm. So set, <laughs> let's say set news or a challenge for any coaches is that you actually, okay, you, you can help the team to survive in those conditions. But if you really want to influence, you, you need to go and, and change, probably change some of, of these conditions. Yeah, so when you're engaging with a new client, do you find that you often then end up focusing in some small or large part initially on that 60% for design? Or do you normally find that the design is already in place and it's just that they did, they weren't set off in the right direction? I mean, is there any commonality that you're seeing from your engagements? Usually, well, unfortunately. <laughs> Maybe on my side or the customer's side, I'm usually, I have been hired to do something that others have already been designing. So mm -hmm. then I go there, then I... I try to kind of mitigate the immediate pain. And then I, I, I start to talk about this. Okay, actually, we, we need to look for this, about the structures and so on. And sometimes the, the client just um, doesn't want to listen. It could be that, okay, we have just created the horrible stuff that we have done. So we are not going to change it now for one year. <laughs> or then I'm stepping on someone's toes and then... Usually I'm, I'm careful, I don't do that, so I just try to do some workarounds. So I, after understanding the organization, I try to, to kind of create some vocabulary, how can I can explain how this organization really works and what sucks there and how can we improve. So I like to say that when I'm entering the organization, I participate in the organizational conversation and create new vocabulary. If people start to talk with new words, new perspectives, things will change. So part of you is getting involved in the organizational conversation, that understanding, and then creating a new vocabulary for explaining how things are currently operating for them. Yes. And that new vocabulary, is that, these aren't, I'm being facetious on purpose here, these aren't new, are these new words that you're making up or is this like drawing from? Well, a very, very, very familiar, hopefully, for, for the audience here is um, contract game. If the organization doesn't have the word, they don't know about it. Then they go into some less training, and of course, contract game is analyzed there. And then they are, oh, yes, that's what we do. Mm -hmm. So maybe yeah, for those that haven't haven't heard the contract game before, do you want to give a little? Uh, can you? I mean, is it possible to give a one minute overview of it? <laughs> Please. Oh, uh, me? Okay. <laughs> Yeah, sure. I mean, I'm not sure if I can keep it to one minute. I, for a split second, I thought maybe I, I recorded a video on this, but maybe, I didn't. Maybe, Bible maybe, did. I, maybe I tried. I, I'm no, no, I'm, I am stuff. not trying to dodge it. I'm not trying to dodge <laughs> it. How about we take it in turns and then, we're, then we have a vote and everyone can vote for their favourite. <laughs> I feel bad now. I kind of feel like people are going to think that I've just tried to dodge explaining it when I wasn't. I was just trying to think if I'd already recorded a video for it. So, shall I have a go then, Ari? Shall I have? A, shall I attempt this, and please, then you please, can correct please, me? Please. 
I mean, as a less trainer, I should know this off by heart, shouldn't I? So the contract game is this detrimental sequence of behavioural escalation, I, I, I would put it probably, where you have one side, which is the business or the client side, depends, and the other side, which is the supplier, which is often technology. And this is all hinged around the prevailing understanding that there is a business area and a technology area and technology are supplying the business and business are the customers. So this is all based upon supply and demand, which was proven many years ago by MIT, I believe, that it can never balance out perfectly anyway. I think this was very this was popularized back then in the beer game, which was written about, well, I found it in the fifth discipline. And there are beer game simulations where you can see how supply and demand doesn't work. Because the issue with these situations is the business will always demand more because of the fear of they're not going to get what they need. So rather than ask for 10 of something, they will ask for 20 of something in the belief that, well, one, they won't get 20, but they should get for 10. Or that they have one opportunity each year to ask for these things that they need. And so they need to buy it all into the big warm request. And then when this goes to the people that will be meeting this demand, it's very difficult to discern exactly what the effort will be. It's very difficult to discern perhaps what they want. And traditionally, the, the contract in the contract game would perhaps be a requirements document, some kind of project brief, some kind of statement of work, perhaps, which tried to fix down the wants and needs of the business and contractually oblige the technology organization to deliver upon that. Now, the closer it gets to an arbitrary set point where the contract is to be frozen, the business, the demanders are always requesting more. The providers are always demanding less or fewer items, is perhaps more grammatically correct. And it always ends up in a situation where the people with the money will win out. Technology are then left with a contract which they have no real chance to deliver against. And at that point, we enter into the development phase where it disappears into a black hole where the business have no visibility of the progress. They have no input into the ordering of the work. Technology is allowed to approach it however they liked. And when it gets closer and closer to what is ultimately an arbitrary deadline, the business will be getting very nervous and technology will be getting very nervous because they'll be behind. The business will then start putting in, or maybe even technology, and I've experienced this firsthand, really ineffective bonus schemes or carrots or sticks to try and coax people into performing. I've seen people being offered uh, cash bonuses. I've seen people being offered uh, extra pay for working weekends. The most common thing I'd always seen was that that never that didn't happen. One person higher up would be given a bonus and everyone else should be told to stop testing because it was generating too much work. And then when the product is finally delivered, it doesn't really work. Everyone's very dissatisfied and it ends in a, a good a good dose of blame firing back and forth between the, the customer and their supplier. Now that wasn't very succinct, but I hope that it was reasonably on on yes. note. Yes. So in, in the case, that would be the experience in one company, many perspectives and many roles there. And just when they learn that contract game, yes, it's this pattern, how we fail all the time. So 
That's how I would introduce vocabulary. Also, these Hackman's conditions, since there's only kind of a dozen or so, and if, if you kind of learn to use them, so you, you learn, for example, the phrase, okay, yes, we have this task to be done by this group, so is it really consequential? We, we do something, does it work, is it useful? Do we, do, have, do, we have, do we have this feedback? That makes the goal consequential. Having, having feedback, well, being able to get feedback on the goal or what you produce? Yes. So, for example, I mean, in software development, we check the code into continuous integration. It's tested. It works. I got mm -hmm. feedback. We deliver something to the customer, hopefully fast, and the customer is trying it out. We get feedback. Is it useful? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's an example of, of consequential work. The opposite would be marketing. I mean, they, they invent yet another, um, how, how it's, it's not program, but what marketing is doing when they are kind of sending a new kind of program. <laughs> no, I just forgot the word. Press releases and you know, product launches. They, they, they put out something on the market. Yeah. And then how, how do they really measure that it was useful? Mm -hmm. Difficult, very difficult. Okay. So we said work that has a, a consequence either way, as a consequence of delivering and a consequence of not delivering, but there has to be a consequence of the work being executed. Yes, yes. So if the work is not consequential, then it's really hard to improve your work and really know if you succeeded and if you did enough and so on. And sadly, <coughs> management teams' work is very often difficult to be consequential. Mm -hmm. Because management teams, they are just uh, executing the things that are coming from above, and they are managing problems <laughs> that is coming from below, not really able to fix them. And then they just do something, and something is changing, but really difficult to say if it was useful. Mm -hmm. That's sad for the managers. Sad but true. Yes. Sad yes. but true. Yes, yes. So that was just an example of, of one of the Huckman's conditions. Mm. So, um, <clears throat> if people wanted to find out more, because I mean, it's a really important one, don't get me wrong, but if people wanted to find out more, is it best that they read his book or do you have some resource or something you can share? It's absolutely best that they just read his book because it has a lot of things. This is just kind of the crystallized skimmed top mm. of the iceberg there. He kind of put all his research findings in this book, um, creating. Teamwork, creating great performance, states for great performances. Brilliant. And also the later one about the blue one, I wrote, don't remember the name. It's quite much the same conditions, maybe a little different structure there. But groups at work and those that don't. Is that the one you're thinking of? Uh, or not? No, it was. No, never mind. No. If you go to Amazon, you will find I, it. I will find it and I'll put a link in the uh, description. Yes, yes. So then part of your team magic then, one was that framing the teamwork as collaboration and performance rather than just a small group. Secondly, it's part of it is looking at these enabling conditions by Richard Hackman, of which yeah, we've spoken in depth about one, but there are others there which people should read about. And part of your creating that team magic is about ticking off those enabling conditions and you do that by understanding the organization and then introducing a new vocabulary 
to allow them to talk about their reality in a new way so that that new vocabulary helps them to think differently as well. Yes. And then yes. I want to get you back for another... Oh, go on, Ari, you want to say something? I interrupted. Yes, uh, about, well, this creating new vocabulary is just one way to work with organizations. If I want to create a change in organization, I need to create understanding that is better than anyone else is able to produce. Mm -hmm. the, in, in that case, the management starts to listen. If my my kind of uh, vocabulary, my my view, my findings are not as insightful as someone else's, then they will listen to someone else. <clears throat> it shouldn't be the consultant alone. The best way to kind of change the organization is to help the organization to start to do continuous improvement. Mm -hmm. First, retrospectives, then taking the difficult items for a longer-term improvement theme where we have power and wisdom in the same room, and then making that um, more and more part of the organization structures. I won't go into details now. But anyway, th that theme where we have power and wisdom in the same room, that that team needs to create better understanding of the organization than anyone else can do. Otherwise, uh, well, the top management will listen to some other one, like McKinsey or <laughs> anyone who's coming to whisper something in their ears. Yeah, the McKinsey whispers. So you said that creating that new vocabulary to help people build a say build a enhance or shift their mental models about how the understanding is currently working yes. it is one of the keys to success and is what enables you to get those clients and retain those clients because you can help them create a better picture in their collective minds of how things are currently yes. working exactly beautiful i think that is a top tip that's going to be worth people hanging around to the the tail end of this episode for that. So, Ari, thank you very much for that. I would love to delve deeper, but again, I'll, okay. as we try and keep these short and snappy, and our time is coming to an end, mm -hmm. which is kind of annoying. And so, sorry, sorry that we didn't go through all the Hackman's comments. Ah, yeah, Ari, yeah, that's, that's it. You're not coming back. Read the book. You're not coming back, Ari. That's just, just, just terrible. We've promised people so much, and you haven't delivered. Thank you, everyone. No, I'm joking. We're not going to end it. Um, it's a, there's a lot to remember. Sorry for not covering 350 dense <laughs> pages of information in 15 minutes. Really sorry. Oh, well, that's terrible behavior. But next time, Ari, you better deliver. Otherwise, oh, yes. that'll be it. I promise. I promise. I promise. <laughs> I promise. <laughs> Ari, thank you so much. It's been, it's been really enlightening. I, my major takeaway from this is it's about the understanding and creating a new vocabulary. Like I, I really like that. Really like it. I'm taking that away. I'm going to be thinking of that as I walk to go and collect my child from football club later. So thank you very much for that gift. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We're going to get Ari back for one more conversation in this round, maybe maybe more in the future, but one more out of these, where we're going to be talking about group dynamics. Yes, and that's unique information. You probably don't find it anywhere else. Wow. Beautiful teaser. Wow. Yes. Isn't it? It is. Everyone better, you better hurry up and go and subscribe. Thank you very much, Ari. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll look forward to welcoming you back on another episode very soon. Thank you very much. Thank you.
What a tip to end on. Ari, thanks again. I'm banking that one. Because it was such a brilliant tip, you should definitely post about it on social media. And remember to check out part three, assuming it's out by the time you hear this. Anyway, I'm Ben Maynard, and thanks for lending us your ears and your brain. Until next time, thank you.